Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Tonight is December 12, 2017. Probably, maybe I'll do one more show, uh, and then the end of the year will come. We'll take a little break for the Christmas holidays and the New Year, and I'll come back in January uh, with some new folks, some filmmakers, some educators, all kinds of people. I decided to do a show called How AA Got So Big, Harry Anzinger, Marty Mann, and Rockefeller Money. Um, All separate things. Here are some books that I think, if you haven't read them and you're interested in understanding the, not just the failed war on drugs, that would be Chasing the Scream, Um, Johan Hari's book, uh, he's from England, did a lot of the research or all the research in the United States. I think it sometimes takes an outside person to make a difference, to you know, see something from another perspective. And um, it was a piece of the puzzle. So the reason I'm talking about these three people, Harry Amzinger, who is our first drug czar, if you don't know that, and Marty Mann uh, wasn't the first woman in AA, but she was the first successful woman. She came from high society. She introduced... Uh, Bill Wilson to the Rockefellers and money, Um, Henry Ford, all those. She came from, like, you know, just high society at the time. And when you think about it, the world was a lot smaller. So when you came from high society and you brought somebody into that, that gave them a lot of clout and power. So when she introduced him to uh, Rockefeller, uh, it introduced him to all the rest of them. And that's the part that uh, no one talks about. You know, there's, I think the, the historical parts of the book that are in AA are, you know, really, really lacking. And uh, makes, they make people think that, you know, oh, he, he turned Bill down, which he didn't. Um, he did not give him $500. He gave him $5,000. And that was to make the first run of the, um, of the big book, which he could not have done without him. But the weird thing about Rockefeller, and I'm going to go straight to him, is that, you know, his father, Frank, 
We'll see how Frank Rockefeller was born in 1839 and died in 1937. So he died, uh, and he died in Cleveland, Ohio. So Cleveland is one of the, of course, it's considered the homeland of Alcoholics Anonymous because Bill met uh, Dr. Bob there. But, you know, Bill Bill was really in, you know, Towns Hospital. He was in New York where he really stopped on his own. I mean, he didn't stop on his own. I mean, he stopped with the uh, help of the Oxford groups. And he also had the help of um, being in a real hospital that was treating people for alcoholism. Uh, don't really like that word anymore, but um, like substance use disorder or dependence or something. But anyway, that was the word that um, has been used a lot um, for the last so many years, 100 years. And um, if we look at uh, John D. Rockefeller, who was born, like I said, uh, in 1839, died in 37, um, he was an American oil industry business magnate, industrialist, philanthropist. He is widely considered the wealthiest American of all time and the richest person in modern history. Rockefeller was born into a large family in upstate New York. And this goes on, this is all, if you can, you know, if you want to find it, it it's on Wikipedia. It's actually really good. Um, read about it. But, um, you know, I think the thing that I found, uh, you know, of course, he, you know, uh, we talk about the oil business, which I really was not interested in any of this. Rockefeller um, formally founded his most famous company, the Standard Oil Company, in 1870 as an Ohio partnership with William Flagler and uh, Bostwig, and silent partner of Stephen Harkness. Um, I think that, the, you know, what's, I just want to make a point that he was introduced to the richest man in the world at that time. Like It would be like being introduced to Bill Gates if, if somebody introduced me or the person who started you know, Smart Recovery or the person who started Women for Sobriety, that they were introduced to the richest man and that man um, thought that alcohol was pure evil. So um, now this is his father. This is not the one that, uh, what do you call it, um, John Jr. is the one that is, um, he was born in 1878, also in Cleveland. He died in 1960 at 86 in Tucson, Arizona. But can you imagine this? You know, um, so this guy, they didn't drink. They thought it was evil. Not, they not only didn't drink, they thought that, you know, all that other stuff and, you know, was um, things like the movies and uh, were, were evil. But the main part is that when they met him, um, you know, and it's interesting then, so the guy who helped, uh, you know, AA, one of his sons was Nelson Rockefeller, the 41st Vice President of the United States, which I also didn't know. So now he's got a father who is a Vice President, uh, and he was the Vice President to Gerald Ford. So it's very, very uh, entrenched in our government. And um, Nelson Rockefeller also served as the Assistant Secretary of State. Man, it's just one big, one big, uh, I don't want to say it, but anyway. Uh, let's talk about Marty. So Marty, 
uh, somebody, when I started making the film in 2011 in the spring, somebody actually sent me anonymously her her biography. And um, I didn't, I couldn't bear to read it from cover to cover, so um, my assistant read it, and she would do notes on, you know, chapters and, and marking out what was interesting and what I thought she thought was important. And there certainly were some things. So how does anybody, can you imagine if, you know, even the work I'm doing, if I had the voice of the biggest newspaper in the country and the biggest magazine? So just say if the Washington Post um, did a whole spread on my work and my film and what I was exposing, and then let's pick the biggest magazine in the United States right now. I don't know, Cosmopolitan. I really don't know what that would be, but Marty was gay. Um, um, you know, nobody really cares about that kind of stuff today except some, you know, people who do care about it in the South and the East, people who are, the, who are racist. They seem to have these problems too. But um, So Marty, she was married, but she was gay. And um, so you think about what it was like to be gay in the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, and the 60s. You know, it really was, it was illegal to have sex. It was, you, you, they arrested people for going to gay bars. You know, I grew up in Manhattan and remember hearing those stories. But Priscilla, who was her partner, worked at Vogue. Okay, Vogue is still fucking big. So when I read this, I was so shocked. Um... I was really, really shocked that this was her in. The Saturday Evening Post was not like some fluke. You know, these people all knew each other. Like, even today, I think the world of journalism, uh, people know each other. But imagine, before the Internet, imagine before television, how connected journalists were. Journalists were notoriously known, as people have told me, big drinkers, judges drank a lot, you know, lawyers drank a lot. But... That's not really the point here. The point is that her partner, that her lover, you know, was Priscilla, and she worked at Vogue. And the National Council on Education of Alcoholism is what it was first called, right? So the NCEA, the National Council on Education, it was her, you know, uh, mission to go around the world and campaign um, about how this was a disease and people should be treated in hospitals and, you know, sanitariums and not in um, jails. Um, but there's a really mixed, uh, really mixed bag of how this all happened. And some people, there was somebody who posted on one of my Facebook pages about how, you know, AA had nothing to do with um, rehab and, you know, oh yeah, it did. The earliest, earliest of rehabs, oh, the one in Connecticut, uh, was very much involved, Bill Wilson was involved with. I don't know if there was, you know, probably any money involved for him, but, um, you know, AA, it was it, Hazleton, AA, Betty Ford, um, based on Alcoholics Anonymous, um, Principles, Tenants, Big Book, uh, you name it. So I found that really, really, really shocking. And um, one of her, was Priscilla's sister, she had a drinking problem. She joined AA, and she was a 13-stepper. They talk about it. Um, they talk. Oh, and here. Okay, so here's the part with her that I want to talk about. Marty came out to Hollywood. Marty was introduced. You will not believe who she was introduced to. It. You know, the people 
were so high up and so powerful. Um, she was involved with uh, the involvement of the making of The Lost Weekend with Ray Milland, all about um, a drinking problem. Uh, yeah, so I was like, and I think that she, um, who was the other one, the really famous um, actress who, God, she was around, um, I'm just looking for it right now. But um, so this part of the story that I had no idea that she actually came out here, um, you know, oh yeah, Priscilla Peck was her longtime partner. Um, let me see, the other one, Liz, oh yeah, they were talking about her. Liz became a notorious 13-stepper, preying on vulnerable young lesbians new to sobriety. The book also describes how inappropriate crushes and relationships were typical of straight men and women in early recovery. So they talk about that. Um, Marty and Priscilla became well-known figures in the New York gay and lesbian community, especially uh, the area known as Cherry Grove. Um, Marty and Priscilla were described as helping establish the first AA in Cherry Grove and laid down the foundation for specialized groups in AA for gays and lesbians, women and immigrants. So I think that, uh, you know, um, when you think about this, so then in the lesbian and gay community, which was also very hidden and very, just very hidden, that then here you have this woman who is rich, who is her partner, works at Vogue, and everybody kisses everybody's ass, who's either famous or rich or who has some connection. That's the way of the hierarchy of our society works today. You know, it's like the the royalty of today are those people. And uh, they just grew and grew and grew. Um, other part uh, that I wanted to talk about besides, so you have just the effect of, you know, Rockefeller's money, not only money, but introducing everybody in that upper echelon. Marty was already high society, and, and Bill Wilson is not. Um, somebody was telling me that um, Lois, Lois came from money, and that uh, was interesting. I have a friend who I think is doing some research about that. Um, the other part and I'm, I'm only doing a 30-minute show. I'm thinking about having uh, like a historian on to talk about it, people who um, who studied it, you know, maybe somebody who's written this book. Uh, the other book that I didn't know about until I made the film was Bill W. by Francis Hardigan. And this is the book where we quoted in the movie because it says that he needed to, um, they had to get a squad to protect him from uh, going after newcomer women. And it got worse and worse with the years. This is in this story that is a pro, you know, uh, pro AA. Uh, um, and I, I couldn't stomach reading it, to be really honest. Now, here's another piece. Why did not the doctors in Harvard, Yale, I mean, Columbia Presbyterian, or wherever they were, why did they not, and when did they not treat um, a person with substance use addiction? So here's the piece. It took Johan Hari, and it's J-O-H-A-N, last name Hari, H-A-R-I. 
it took his book that came out, I think, uh, two or three years ago, Chasing the Scream. And it's in the very beginning. It's a fascinating read, if you want to read it. It's all about the failed war on drugs. Many, many personal stories. So the thing is, is that Prohibition was from 1920 to 1933. And when, at this time, cocaine and heroin was legal. And the people that were using heroin, guess who they were? They were middle and upper class white women. Those were the people that, you know, it's so funny with this whole thing with heroin right now. It's like, oh, my God, all these white people, and it's not poor people. Well, you know what? This is a repeat. Almost, it's interesting. It's 1917 and 2017, like 100 years ago. The people who were using and abusing this were not poor people. They didn't have the money or the time for this shit. They didn't have the money or the time. But middle class and upper middle class, white women did. Now, of course, you had the opium dens, you know. Um, but the interesting thing, so it ends, Prohibition ends in 1933, and everybody's like, woohoo, you know, let's break out the booze. And, uh, you know, his job, the drugs are, was to, you know, keep all this stuff in check. And now that alcohol was legal again, what was he going to do? So what he did is he made heroin, and I believe that's when, um, it, but the, most of the focus on this part of the story is heroin. I'm not sure if marijuana and cocaine, because they were illegal, they were, it was, cocaine was used um, a lot as a, a pain medication in hospitals. And yes, people got addicted to it. Um, it was a great show uh, called The Nick that I just loved, that I watched on, um, I think they made two seasons, a fabulous show if you've never seen it. Uh, with that British actor. No, I can't remember his name. But um, what, a, what a great show. Uh, and even they got some stuff wrong in that. It was so weird. It was like, it's a disease. Guy walks in and goes, this is like supposed to be in uh, 1903. And he goes, um, it's a disease. And I was like, I don't know if they called it that then. It was, you know, it had a different, a different name. Of course, then you see that hospitals and doctors were also different. And um, the way that people learned, man, it was just an incredible show. But back to my point, um, in, uh, so, so we're at 33, and he decides, this is what happens, he arrests, now imagine this, 225,000 doctors are arrested for writing scripts for heroin, which was legal. So without, you know, warning them, without whatever, it decided, like, this must have went down, and then they were all arrested. So I went, oh, my God, that's what happened. It's not really that Bill had this great experience and that um, because of this, there was this grassroots movement that other people shared with other people. And then where were the doctors? Where was, like, your GP, your general practitioner? Um, why Why was he not involved? If it was a disease, and it isn't a disease, but, you know, alcoholics were treated in hospitals. And um, in Gabrielle Glacier's book, uh, Her Best Kept Secret, in doing her research, she found out that tuberculosis, the cure for TB, had happened, and there were a lot of beds and in hospitals, and they began to try to deal and help people who were alcohol-dependent and um, addicted. 
But if you have, and say we're in, you know, now we're in like 37 or whatever, that you have all the doctors turning away when that happened in 1933, that as Bill and his friends showed up, I bet you they were like, yeah, whatever, you can have them. We don't want them. We don't, we don't want to get arrested. We don't want to get into trouble. Like this is very close to the time when this um, arrest happened. And so because of that arrest, I believe that the doctors turned their backs on working with addicts and with alcoholics, substance use disorder. I think it's a really important part that we um, change the language, with, which a lot of people are, people who work in the field, people who are um, working with new modalities. And somebody's like, what is a modality? Well, it's like, okay, um, I don't really know. I'd say maybe mental illness, you know, people gave people a lobotomy. And like now somebody could take anxiety medication and maybe they would be on an antidepressant. Uh, or maybe, you know, I mean, that's just one example. But for me, to think how horrible that kind of research stopped and that, you know, what, what happened and for how long. And then the AA people began working um, in Harvard. And I, when I interviewed, you know, Dr. Lance Dodes, it's D-O-D-E-S, he wrote The Sober Truth, I highly recommend that you um, read that if you haven't. When I met him and interviewed him, I interviewed him on this show too. You know, you see that they were. I asked him, like, you know, are they still really in control there? They still. And he goes, yeah. But there were, there are ones that are not, you know, that are not into it and that that are there working. But uh, that's pretty horrifying. That uh, that interview probably happened in 2014. Uh, that at that time you still were not having the, the lifting up in freedom of. It would be like saying, like, you know, it was being run by the Catholic Church and that, you know, everybody was just praying for everybody. And, um, like, if you're watching Outlander or one of these shows where, you know, there's, like, sacrificing, like, literally, you know, human beings for doing certain things and they are uh, the beliefs, the belief systems of, uh, you know, um, you know, just, like, stuff that isn't true. When, you know, you think, uh, okay, you know, don't walk under a ladder or... You know, you're going to have seven years of bad luck if, you know, the mirror breaks. Well, the thing is, is that, I mean, I just found these three, when these three things came together, and the three things, the two things came together for me, which was making the film, uh, the whole thing about Rockefeller. I found that out by joining uh, the museum of modern art in New York, and when I joined, they sent me this magazine, and, and in the magazine, there was this whole fucking story about Rockefeller. It'd be really interesting to see what they've been doing um, with their money and uh, their philanthropy. Uh, interesting thing here, Rockefeller, a Republican, was often considered politically liberal and progressive, or in other cases, a moderate he successfully altered the political platform of the Republican Party just before the 1960 Republican Convention in what was termed as the Treaty of Fifth Avenue. In his time, liberals in the Republican Party were called Rockefeller Republicans. As governor of New York from 1959 to 73, his achievements included expansion of the State University of New York and efforts to protect the environment, the building of Governor Nelson Rockefeller Empire State Plaza, in Albany, increased facilities and personnel for medical care and creation of the New York State Council on the Arts. Well, that's a different spin there on a Republican. That's really interesting stuff that I didn't know. Um, so I think that when people think, and there's so many, I, I was one of them, uh, 
that people think that AA was this small, benign, that there's these groups, and still I'll see, you know, there are no leaders, there are, um, it's, you know, very small, no, it's not, it's not involved in it, it's the courts that do it, really, really. Well, you know that they got into San Quentin in the 1940s, and that if you look up uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and you can look up on, uh, let me just get it really quick, if you look on aa.org, and uh, you know you look to um, to their pamphlets, you can clearly see that they had pamphlets where they are. Um, oh, great! Now they have video PSAs. Uh, they have. Let me see here. Well, anyway, we know they have stuff where they're reaching out to. Mm, how should we say? To professionals, you know, reaching out to professionals, and it's pretty, pretty bad, you know. Uh, there's a lot of people who get forced to go there: nurses, doctors, and lawyers. Uh, there's just a ton of people. Pages, let's see, Newton and Press's release matching professional. A lot of stuff. Um, mm, I'm just trying to find this one pamphlet. There's, there's actually many, but uh, there's one here for... So they had judges on the board. Judge Flores was uh, sitting on the AA board. And, um, you know, so why do you... And, and he was actually working in a DUI court. This was in 2007. I know recently there was a new <sighs> guy on the board that I believe... It was another judge from the southeast of the south, yeah, the southeast of the United States. So he was a Class A board member, and he was working up uh, in not Northern California, but like north of me, I think like Santa Maria or somewhere up there. As a judge, I was going to interview him, and then he um, he chickened out. Uh, I actually heard him talk and met him, and then and asked him and really thought I was going to get an interview for my film. I do believe that CBS 48 Hours, The Sober Truth, an episode that I was uh, interviewed uh, for, uh, they did, they were able to interview him. I was very, very happy about that. So, you know, there's like three minutes left to the show. A did not grow by these little groups. This is, And, and you know, what? It, I guess to finish it up, I couldn't figure out, as I was making the movie and I was in AA for 36 years, how the fuck this thing got so big? How did it get into the courts in the way it is? Why was everybody being sent there? Then the horror of what was being done to professionals and pilots and nurses and doctors. How was this happening? Why was a 16-year-old who had one beer on the beach in Santa Monica being sent to six AA meetings? And this is how it happened. So the doctors said, yeah, fine. Fuck you. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with you, drunks. You can have them. You AA members, go ahead. You know how to do it. Go ahead. The problem is that it fails ninety-five percent. Ninety-five percent. And the of the five percent that it helps, there is a percentage who was like me, who before we walked through that door of that first meeting, have already decided, had already decided that we were going to quit. That we had enough. So there you go, folks. 
it was nice talking to you. If you have anything detailed you want to tell me about, write to me at makeaasafer at gmail.com. And I'm remaking those cards for the Make AA Safer project where I'm going to be going into some meetings and handing these out, and people are going to be doing it all over the country to get people to speak up and out about sexual harassment and um, assault and rape. Please write to me at makeaasafer at gmail.com. The film is out. It's on Amazon Streaming. The 13th Step on Amazon and Vimeo. Amazon, if you have Prime, it's free. It's cheap on both of them. It's $1.99 to rent on Vimeo. I think that's a better version of the film, but whatever floats your boat, um, just you know, watch it, even if it's there. There's some great videos um, on YouTube. Alternatives to Alcoholics Anonymous, Smart Recovery is a great one. There's face-to-face meetings. There's online. There's chat rooms, harm reduction, Ham's Harm Reduction, you can find it on the internet. There's some great books. Stephen Slade has a new book out. Uh, I'll just look it up. I can, um, my mind is just one blank. The name of his book, because it's brand new. And let me see what else. We have Harm Reduction, we have Moderation Management, and we have the Sinclair Method, which is the use of naltrexone. Again, my name is Monica Richardson. I'm the filmmaker of The 13th Step. This is my podcast. I want to thank you all for joining me tonight. And I look forward to uh, talking to you all next week before the holidays. And you have a great one. And see you next time.